Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast, where we like to explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. My name is Brandon Saxton. And I'm Katie Gordon. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. It's toward the end of semester here on campus, as you're well aware, mm-hmm. and so things are super busy, but they're about to wind down yeah. soon. Yeah, we're so. getting to the good summer. It finally feels like summer. Yeah, There's no more snow. True. There was snow like two weeks ago, so <laughs> there's no snow. It's warm today. That's right. How Next, are you doing? Oh, I'm always doing good. Um, yeah, it's the end of the semester. I'm doing good. I'm feeling good. I've, I, I just, I was reflecting today on what a time it is to, uh, to be a comic fan. It is just our, our media, uh, Netflix, you know, TV series, movies, comics, naturally mm-hmm. are just saturated with superheroes right now, and and I just. I just feel lucky to be a part of the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, how about you? I asked you already. Yeah. Just double checking. Are you still doing okay? Things have changed dramatically (laughs) since you last asked. I was worried about it. Uh, So, Mom, maybe we can jump in on some some current events. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hold on. Do you hear that? Ooga shaka. Ooga, ooga, (laughs) ooga shaka. Oh, it's the Guardians of the Galaxy. Here they come. They're just flying in. No, I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 last night. Uh, that's my current event, and I liked it a lot. It, I felt like they cranked up the goofiness a little bit. There's a lot more jokes and a lot more lightheartedness, and I should say that's probably somewhat in part based on like that I just saw Logan too recently. Mm-hmm. So like obviously it's gonna feel a little more goofy and lighthearted uh, in comparison. But I liked it a lot. They really I think take advantage of little Groot. He's a kind of like a main character. He, I mean naturally he's one of the mm-hmm. guys, but they really focus on him because. He's hilariously, like, adorable and, mm-hmm. and cute. And, like, I didn't really understand the th- before. Like, he's, like, a, a baby, actually. Like, he doesn't, he's not, like, the old group, but just little. Mm-hmm. He's, like, a newborn baby. Oh. So, yeah, he's just running around not sure what he's doing all mm-hmm. the time. So it's quite hilarious. Cool. Well, I will try to check that out next week. Yeah, it's really good. I, uh, Yeah, I won't say more yet because it did just come out, mm-hmm. like, midnight last night. So I'll wait <laughs> and we can discuss it, uh, discuss it once more people, including yourself. Have had a chance to see it. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Other than that, um, I think the Defenders trailer was awesome. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Some awesome music. Marvel's really taking advantage of some like old classic music. Um, so I like that. I use I use old like not really. It's not old. <laughs> relatively it's all speaking, relative. yeah. Uh, so I like. It was def- Nirvana. Yeah. From I think that song is from the early nineties. Yeah. So that was good. I love that. The little hallway fighting scene was sweet. Uh, Wonder Woman's coming up in much less than a month. Tomorrow's free comic book day, mm-hmm. so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. I already have gone through the list of free comics available twice to decide what ones I want to make sure I get copies of. So I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, it's uh, lots of great stuff going on, and it's starting to feel like summer, and and there's good movies and good comics on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you probably saw, based on the title and the episode description, Katie and I are we're coming full circle. We're going to recover Batman vs Superman today, revisit it a little bit, and then we're going to just recopy all 40 episodes. We're just going to re- <laughs> redux everyone. No, just kidding. Uh, but it has been a year, as you know, based on our last episode, we talked a little bit about reflections on the last year. And now with Wonder Woman coming up in less than a month, we thought it might be a good time to sort of revisit the DC uh, Extended Universe, check out Batman vs Superman again, the extended version, and kind of just uh, uh, revisit it a little bit, just to get ourselves a little hyped up for Wonder Woman, which I've seen that trailer probably like 80 times now. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yeah. Um, so anyway, Katie, you re- you rewatched Batman vs mm-hmm. Superman a couple times since it's come out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I've probably watched it ten to fifteen times since then. Um, I like to just click it on when I'm working or grading or anything like that. So does the movie hold up for you? Because to kind of set the context, we were fans of it. And our our very first podcast episode, was it our Mm -hmm. very first one, was about it. And we were fans of it and sort of defended it. It was not generally received well by critics. There are a lot of people who like it and defend it, though. Um, Some people take issues with it, and I don't think that their issues are unfounded, but generally I think we both liked it. So in your revisiting, has it held up for you? Yeah, I I still really like the movie. I like the extended version of it. I thought it was cool, the new content that they added in. You know, I, I get people's criticisms, and it's not like I feel it's perfect or anything like that, but I still really enjoy a lot of elements of the movie. One thing that I think occurred to me because I've, I was into comics when I saw it a year ago, but I've probably read many more comics since then. And I think your taste has changed a little. In the last year? No, you read Batman last year, right? I think I had read Batman yeah, before you are, then. But sometimes yeah. I forget. We've been doing this for a year now, and it you t- started time reading Batman before that. So <laughs> time flies. Not no. to tell you when you liked comics. I don't. No, I noticed you've been keeping a I, diagram I and evaluating yeah, it's, whether it's the I right have pathway or not. measures based on <laughs> your comic preferences. So Perfect. Things are <laughs> no, I've actually read a lot more um, Wonder Woman since then. Oh, great. Though, um, but, but basically, I the thing that I think that I understand more also is hearing what people criticize, whereas like when I first saw it, I saw it pretty close to when it came out, so mm-hmm. I was seeing it kind of fresh. I knew that some people didn't like it, but I didn't really pay attention to why until after right. I saw it. So I understand why s- the criticism that some people had that... It, it didn't seem true to their conceptualization of their character, which I think we even talked about a year ago, but I, I get it even more now mm-hmm. because now that I've read some different versions of Wonder Woman, for example, I get why people, it's important for them to feel like they're a certain way. So when Batman does something like kills people or Superman is not the kind of upbeat person that mm-hmm. they're expecting, why that discrepancy might make them not like it and also continued like the mood of it is not that lighthearted, which I'm no. totally fine with. Mm-hmm. I liked this movie better than Civil War, like I much better. I think we're in the the minority. Of I that, think but. we are, but I honestly, I think mm-hmm. I liked it like a hundred times better. So I might oh, get yeah. some angry oh, I Twitterers, agree. but I I did go see it, and it, mm-hmm. I didn't. I went in expecting to like it because I've liked Iron Man and Captain yeah. America and stuff like that, um, and I thought it was fine. But I just much preferred, and I think mm-hmm. a lot of it is just taste and preference. Yep. I'm not going to act like one is better. Than the other. Oh yeah, that's important to point out. Yeah, it's preference based. No, and it's objective. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so like, I do think it's some of what what do you want in a movie, yeah. and so a lot of what I wanted I found in Batman vs Superman, um, Wonder Woman continues. Like I feel like so excited when she enters the film, even though now I've seen it multiple times when that music starts playing. So for me, it held up. I still really like it. It's not perfect mm-hmm. by any means. And I understand why people don't like it, but I I really enjoy the movie. How about you? Yeah, I, okay. Since I, you saw it 15 times, yeah. I might infer So before I, I say how it held up for me, I have two questions mm-hmm. for you. First question, 
you've read more Wonder Woman comics. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite? If you had to recommend someone who maybe hasn't read Wonder Woman, what would you say is a good, like, jump off here, check this out? Or maybe maybe it doesn't even have to be a good jumping off. Uh, maybe author or artist or just whatever comes to mind right away. I, I don't know that I have a favorite because sure. there are different Wonder Womans mm-hmm. that I like, but I think a good starting place is The Legend of Wonder Woman with... Um, Renee DeLiz and Ray Dillon, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before, and we had a giveaway for that one because yeah. it's a very, it, it's an origin story. So it goes, you don't have to know anything going into it about Wonder Woman. Oh, And sure. I think it's enjoyable. But I have also liked Greg Rucka's mm-hmm. writing of Wonder Woman. You've I've talked enjoyed about him Rebirth. before on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've enjoyed that. I liked Earth One. I So... Really, I haven't. I think part of the reason that I like most of the ones that I've read or all of them is because I usually consult with the the comic book people at the mm-hmm. store before I select which Wonder Woman right. I'm going to get. Like I've I've also read Gail Simone's writing of mm-hmm. her, and I'm a huge fan of her. So I guess what I'm saying is I can't pick except uh, if someone's looking to start, even if you're unfamiliar with comics. Legend of Wonder Woman is a pretty good entry point. The art is beautiful, the writing is beautiful, but it also doesn't assume that you have any knowledge going into it. Yeah, that's nice, and especially because comics can sometimes be overwhelming or intimidating to Mm -hmm. jump in on, so that's a great suggestion. Mm -hmm. My second question slash comment is, I think we both agree that we like Batman vs. Superman more than Civil War. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Batman vs. Superman is a much more serious movie that deals with some moral gray areas, and kind of figuring out who you are and who do you want to be and and your legacy. Uh, Whereas Civil War is more about uh, goofs. Now, do you think that's just because we're not lighthearted people? <laughs> <laughs> I've led you up to that one. No, I'm just making it my own goof. You know, the funny thing is that I think the themes are really similar they between are. the and, two, and which, I, no, I know, I know you're just joking, <laughs> yeah. but I'm just saying that's the thing that also was interesting that people had such strong preferences for mm-hmm. one or another because they really look at themes of power and working together yeah. and who decides what's good and what's bad and yeah. so I that's another part that's interesting that people just differ on that. Absolutely. You know? And I don't mean to be so reductionist about Civil War. It's No, I it's know you're fine. just joking. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've watched Civil War probably five or six no. times since I I've only seen it once. I will admit that I did fall asleep the second time I went to it in theaters. <laughs> oh. Confirming my nickname for it, Civil Snore. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. We're going to get so many hate tweets I from know. this episode. Um, uh, so to answer your question that you asked me, uh, my opinions about it, yeah, I think Batman vs. Superman holds up a lot. I, I thought the extended version was really cool. I thought it added a lot more of the Superman parts, yeah. which I appreciated because I felt like the the theatrical cut was a little light on the Superman components, so I did like to get a little more Superman to really flesh out the story, and I thought it explained some of the plot points a little bit more clearly and relied a little less on assumption. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But yeah, I know I think the extended version and I think the film holds up greatly and I think that um, I mean I like Ben Affleck as Batman Mm -hmm. just incredibly so yeah Mm -hmm. I think it's great Um, so maybe a good jumping off point in terms of some of our our revisiting of the film is to start off a little bit talking about grief Katie you have a quote uh, kind of ready for grief to kind of jump us off have I got that right? Yeah I thought that the opening scene for Batman versus Superman was visually stunning and very emotionally moving and powerful and the way that it kind of shows 
young Bruce Wayne during the burial, kind of running into the woods and mm-hmm. things. And if I'm remembering anything inaccurately, feel free to correct me. I was watching it pretty late oh, last night. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> You'll take great pleasure but in actually, it as well. No, just kidding. <laughs> Save other people on Twitter the trouble and just yes. live correct me <laughs> for all my errors. Um, and it's showing as... Uh, he, he, as a grown man who I think is supposed to be in his 40s-ish in Batman vs. Superman. 40s, late I think, 40s, yeah. Okay. So he's clearly something that happened, I don't know, 30 years prior, or however the exact mm-hmm. ages are. Right. Many times ago, not over it. Now, um, part of that is I'm sure... Sh- should be related to the fact that he lost his parents in such a violent way that he had to observe and his age and things like that. Definitely meets that uh, that diagnostic definition of trauma. Mm-hmm. Wait, mm-hmm. No question. Yeah, asked. exactly. Plain and simple. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's terrible, and it is heartbreaking to see that. Secondly, in terms of grief, what we know is that for most people, grief changes over time, but it it doesn't seem to end if it's someone who's really close to you in a way. It, At least, and this is not based on psychological research, this is based on people I've worked with and people who I've known personally. It seems like, particularly with parents, that that's a profound relationship. Mm-hmm. And I've heard Chris Rock actually talk a lot about um, losing his dad and how that affects him. Stephen Colbert has talked mm-hmm. about that. And there's a quote that, I heard recently that I that I thought really applied to this, and I think that this grief aspect of what's motivating Batman's behavior, in my opinion, is an interesting level that I didn't think about as much before, where he's not over his parents. And I know that's kind of obvious, but for some reason it is often looked at as more of a trauma reaction mm-hmm. or like maybe a post-traumatic stress disorder reaction versus... Uh, looking at the grief and bereavement process, at least in my uh, opinion. And so I like this quote. It says, grief never ends, but it changes. It's a passage, not a place to stay. Grief is not a sign of weakness, nor a lack of faith. It is the price of love. And to me, that makes me automatically sympathetic, no matter how Batman was acting that movie, to what he's been through and, and the pain that he walks around with. And so, anyway, I I thought I'd ask your thoughts about that. You've read a lot more Batman than me and seen more Batman than me. I don't know how grief plays out in other representations of him. Oh, yeah, I think that's pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. So the thing that jumps to mind right away is uh, The Dark Knight Returns, which mm-hmm. you've read part of. Mm-hmm. Have I got that right? Yeah. So I have also read it, and I've watched the animated adaptation a number mm-hmm. of times, which I think I actually owe you to borrow, um, mm-hmm. because it's it's actually really good, and it's one of my mm-hmm. favorite uh, um, depictions of mm-hmm. Batman. But even in that, where he's... A lot of the story from, like, Dark Knight Rises and Batman vs. Superman is sort of borrowed from that, where it's this older Bruce Wayne who's uh, kind of coming out of retirement to, to do this thing again. And uh, even then, he's influenced by the memory of his parents. So I think that the sort of curse of Batman is that he will—he never actually gets over this grief yeah. that he feels. Uh, and it's actually almost like develops into this obsession to try to prevent anyone else from experiencing that. And of course, that sort of changes depending on the story that you're reading or the writer who's writing him. Where, like, in this story, Batman is a little more... 
I think you can sort of paint Batman in two, with two brushes. One being that he's there to hurt criminals, and one being that he's there to protect people. Um, so I think depending on which brush gets more emphasis, which side of the character, you can really see that it's the grief and the loss that he, and the pain that he experienced that he wants to prevent anyone else from experiencing that, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, because they have that scene in the beginning where, you know, it's like he, you first see him looking at Superman and disgust or disdain yeah. rather when he's protecting that little girl knowing yes. that that her parent died and so it does seem softer to me than versus like maybe some of the revenge type depictions yeah. that you're mm-hmm. that you're talking about uh at least in the beginning i mean yep. obviously a big part of this story is that he he's getting to the point where he's just filled with anger and rage and kind of yes. directing that. And I think also he feels like nothing he did ever mattered. Right. He has that quote where Alfred asks him, you know, what mm-hmm. about all the good that you did? And he said, you know, for every criminal that I've stopped, there have been two more to replace mm-hmm. them. So I think with that, and he, also when he talks about how stopping Superman, this person who he perceives to be a threat to the Earth will be his legacy. That's going to be the mm-hmm. thing that he does. And I so I think that part of it paints a picture and I think also he revisits uh, his parents graves and he's also just abandoned their house so Mm -hmm. I think that like just the reminders of his parents of course he still wants to honor them through revisiting but the reminders of their loss maybe through the house that he doesn't even live in Mm -hmm. is is still incredibly painful so and and in mental health terms as you know but uh, we sometimes refer to kind of normative or typical stages of grief not that it's not different between different Mm -hmm. people but again his reaction is understandable to some certain extent and then there's a way of looking at more complicated grief and that's often where people are so related to that quote I just talked about it seems that it's not like grief is something that ends or goes away but there often people move to different phases of it such that it's not so strongly negatively impacting their life like they still feel very sad about Mm -hmm. it and upset and they miss the person but it's not such that they um, have to avoid ever thinking about it or Mm -hmm. they haven't really processed their feelings Mm -hmm. about it. And that's kind of interesting clinically because most people without intervention, they grieve. We have grieving rituals in every Mm -hmm. culture that people follow and and it's very difficult. But many people, especially if they have social support, get through that. But for some people, it's more difficult and some of it is avoiding. Some of it might be the nature of the event. I mean, again, this Mm -hmm. is... He lost his parents in a horribly traumatic, tragic yep. way. And there's even the part, like, why did his dad have to stand up to uh, mm-hmm. the guy who was holding the gun or whatever? And so I think those pieces of it might make it even more likely for him to not move to a different place of grief. But I think that the interesting thing is this is often, as you know, for a lot of superheroes, used as a motivation. Like, they wouldn't be doing right. it if they weren't kind of storing this raw feeling that they still had mm-hmm decades ago or something mm-hmm. like that. So. Yeah, so that leads me to a, a semi-related question about just sort of how Batman has processed this. Mm-hmm. This is one of the criticisms I've seen of Batman just as a character mm-hmm. time and time again is that, you know, uh, Batman's kind of pointless because he could do so much more if he just lived his life as Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. this billionaire philanthropist who would spend his vast amounts of money uh, developing social programs mm-hmm. or... Uh, doing things like that. And I know that 
I'm sort of our our resident Batman expert, but just what's your gut response to that when you when you maybe I don't know if you've ever come across that mm-hmm. argument or heard of it, but um, and there's even some argument that Batman makes Gotham worse because he draws out supervillains sort of uh, to meet him. Um, so I don't know. What do you think about that argument about about my favorite character? Well, I just <laughs> I mean I think your opinion will have more nuance to it because you've read a lot more of it and thought about it, but there's there's no story if that's what he does really or it's, it's not a, it's a different it story sell as well does it well it's not as in, it's not <laughs> yeah. like as much of a compelling story like yeah it's, it's of course interesting if someone is working through philanthropy and stuff like that mm-hmm. but the whole basis of batman is that he's kind of like he's out at night stopping criminals right, right. physically so i'm not trying to evade the question but it's just very hard for me to like get around the fact that like that would change the entire story right. wholeheartedly. So people being too literal. Yeah. Just enjoy the story, <laughs> critics. Well, Easy to be like, a critic. It's a superhero <laughs> yeah. story, you no, know? It's like not a documentary or something like right. that. It's supposed to be fictional and right. so which I know you know all this stuff, but like that's my just natural reaction to it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know and I think it's important, like, yeah, it makes sense and that makes you wonder like, does he choose to channel it through being Batman because there's some element of catharsis to him mm-hmm. or something about feeling meaningful by being in the front lines of the right. crime happening and stopping it? I'm not sure, but like you know, it's certainly less of an interesting story. Yeah. Not that it, you know, you could make an interesting story out of it. It would just be totally different. It wouldn't be recognizable as Batman. No. And maybe not a character that's, a fictional character that's Mm -hmm. lasted over 75 years. Right. That's impressive in and of itself. Yeah, it is. But that's what I think. I don't know. What do you Mm -hmm. think about that? I sort of have a three-part answer. Okay. And and I haven't thought about this, as you can tell, by having a three-part answer developed. <laughs> uh, the first part is is Bruce Wayne actually does engage in a lot of those social mm-hmm. programs the way it is. So it's sort of like supplementary to his work as Batman as well. So I think that's sort of a reductionist argument mm-hmm. because he does that stuff. He, mm-hmm. he funds projects. Uh, Are people usually arguing that he does do it at all or that he would devote more time to uh, it? I've seen both. Okay. And I think a, a lot of the times it's people who maybe aren't super familiar with mm. the, the lore. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another one is one of the reasons that Batman sort of got started was because there was so much corruption in within the system mm-hmm. of Gotham both in the criminal justice and the small government system. So I think that he didn't really think he could make as big of an impact at the time mm-hmm. going through the more traditional, you know, mechanisms. I think that's a part of it where he really kind of wanted to root out the corruption on like a street level as a vigilante mm-hmm. um, before really any major change could be made. And in that way, serve as an example to people to be able to know they could stand up to that mm-hmm. sort of corruption and uh, and just that overall, uh, you know, wrongdoers. Mm-hmm. And my third uh, part of my argument has since been forgotten oh. <laughs> since I have uh, elaborated on my first Well, maybe parts. I can ask you a question, Please. see if it comes back to you. Do you feel like if he didn't have such... Oh. Painful perpetual. Oh, go ahead. I remembered my third okay. part. Your, your question did <laughs> jog my memory. Uh, I I think Bruce Wayne has a thrill seeking personality. Mm-hmm. Like there is in the Rebirth comic on like the very first page, he's doing one armed pull ups off the helipad off the top of mm-hmm. Wayne Tower. Oh well, who doesn't do that? Right now, and he like slips and like grabs it with mm-hmm. his other arm. So he's and Lucius Fox is like trying to have a business mm-hmm. meeting with him. So I think that he also does have like 
some thrill seeking or sensation seeking mm-hmm. out, rather is the term I'm looking for. So I think that probably plays into it as well. So that so d- is that would that be enough to motivate him if he didn't have this kind of uh, perpetual aching grief over his parents? Do you think if he had parents, I do not think he would have become the Batman. Okay, no, I think that was very much born out of the desire to stop other people from having that experience that he had okay. to the extent that he could. So here's another hypothetical. What mm-hmm. if he became Batman in response to that, later got therapy, mm-hmm. worked through his grief? Mm-hmm. Would he continue to be Batman? I don't think so, and mm-hmm. here's why. Because in the Scott Snyder Batman run, New 52, mm-hmm. one of the greatest Batman runs ever, mm-hmm. in my uh, opinion, um, during the super heavy arc, he actually loses his memory. So he no mm-hmm. longer has any of his training, nor the grief. So, And in that time, he's not Batman mm-hmm. anymore. He's very comfortable. He starts a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. He actually gets engaged. He's uh, operating the business more actively. Um, but eventually he feels that it's wrong. And I think some of that sort of starts to seep through. And, and it, the storyline gets more convoluted and complex. But... The, I think that the loss of his parents and that grief is very much part of his identity. So, wait a minute. I just I went back. I said he wouldn't become Batman, didn't I? Yeah. Huh. I just I was argued gonna, against no, myself. <laughs> I was I? just going to ask you that because I remember that arc, and it, it's like there's something in him where he he just... He becomes Batman anyway, right? Even yeah. where he's ready to go back to become yeah. Batman, much to Alfred. You know what? I don't, I'm not sure. I'm going to need to think about it because I feel like I just talked myself out of my own position <laughs> through my own it's train of thought. It's good to be open-minded. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's, it's a good question. Um, yeah, I think that I was just listening to um, this great new podcast that I've started, and uh, they were talking, they do this kind of, uh, versus sort of thing, and mm-hmm. they were talking about Batman. And the the hypothetical they proposed was, if you took Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne and you switched them, and they kind of mm-hmm. were raised in each other's lives, what would happen to them? And then the conclusion they came to was, Peter Parker would, because he probably wouldn't have gotten bitten by that spider, would have been raised by Alfred and probably wouldn't have become Batman, would have become like a functioning member of society and very active and involved, and probably like a famous mm-hmm. scientist. But they said Batman, Bruce Wayne would have become Batman no mm-hmm. matter who he went with. Hmm. And they came up with some weird name for him, since he wouldn't have seen a bat raised in Peter Parker's life. Mm-hmm. So, And I was actually thought that was a pretty compelling argument, mm-hmm. and I, I tend to agree with that, because there is, in Scott Snyder's run, sort of this sadness to Batman that, mm-hmm. that he's he's des- that's just who he is. He He's not meant... He, he doesn't have a happy ending, I mm-hmm. don't think. So, so it's interesting, it, with the parents and him not... Again, no one expects him to get over it. It was a terrible thing, but the pain, it's, it does feel like kind of what people sometimes call complicated grief mm-hmm. and that it still feels as raw, that he's still avoiding things, that he's yeah. not at a different place many years later. So why why does that need to be part of the story? Is it that people see that and respond to that right away? Like, oh yeah, that would motivate, that would have a huge impact mm-hmm. on me. I mean, why do they, rather than having him kind of get over that a little bit and continuing to be Batman due to his personality traits or his values mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, I think that it probably just makes for more of a raw story. Mm-hmm. And uh, it creates maybe more of a passion in mm-hmm. him than, than maybe what might be more subtle personality characteristics, um, at least for that character. Because I think it sort of builds into the conceptualization of him that he's sort of a little more dark and he's a little more, mm-hmm. you know, he's not as cheerful. He's not 
he's not Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. He's not a paragon for good. Mm-hmm. He doesn't identify as a hero. He doesn't consider himself to be a good person even. So I think it's sort of part of just his self-conceptualization um, as a character. I, and I think from a narrative point, people certainly seem to like when, oh, he's like that because of this. Like, they like when yeah. it's clearly laid out, and you've probably had this happen too, but in when I'm teaching psychology classes, it's unsatisfying to people when I'm like, I'm like, well, how did the person end up like this? I'm like, well, there's a bio, there are biological yeah. factors, psychological factors, and social factors, mm-hmm. and even those don't determine how everyone is right. going to turn out. That's not quite as compelling in a narrative way as like this event happened and this is how he responded and that's why he's this way and people have some like even though it's very painful they have Mm -hmm. some satisfaction in understanding how he became the person that he is or something like that like they they get it you know and i wondered if it was kind of the opposite with the depiction of superman in this where they're like that is not superman the way that he's kind of like a little looking a little down and pessimistic and stuff and why would he ever get like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, in the expanded version, they talk about that a bit more. Yeah. I think that you had a very good idea when we were planning this, talking about the history of bereavement and mm-hmm. grief with regard to depression within the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, which is, um, if you haven't listened to our other episodes or if you're not familiar with it, which is a book that lists the criteria for different mental disorders such as depression and and things like that. So um, in the most recent, it used to be that you couldn't diagnose someone with depression if it was two months after they mm-hmm. were had the death of a loved one occur because the idea was that people feel very sad and experience grief following the death of a loved one and you don't want to call that depression or Mm -hmm. pathologize that however in a somewhat controversial move it was removed for dsm-5 and now people who have lost a loved one can be diagnosed with depression what do you think about that or the rationale maybe we should talk about for that so i think it's important to not uh, overly pathologize individuals and what i mean when i say overly pathologize what we're talking about when we say that is that we're not taking someone who might have behavior that's not abnormal and we're making it seem abnormal we're identifying it as abnormal yeah Yeah. that if someone's reacting to losing a loved one Mm -hmm. and they're feeling really bad about it we don't want to say there's something wrong with you for feeling bad after going through this horrible yeah there's you don't have a condition you're Mm -hmm. responding in an appropriate way to loss exactly we don't want to it's not a disorder right that's that was the reason for that Mm -hmm. initially now that that's been undone i think that it is important because it's certainly possible to become depressed after losing a loved one and we don't want to miss people who might become depressed and could use treatment or they could uh you know they could really benefit from therapy and developing healthy coping skills um in response to that loss because we certainly know that some people are more predisposed or vulnerable to becoming depressed and events like that can certainly be uh, a reason that could um, facilitate the depression so it's important that we don't miss people too who could need treatment but wouldn't get it. So I, exactly. I, I, both sides of the argument, you can make a compelling argument on both sides. So it's understandable that it was a controversial decision. I, where do you mm-hmm. fall? Do you have a strong opinion one way or the other, Katie? Well, one of the things that I like is they talk about the nuances of what makes bereavement different from depression because, yeah, I agree that it's important to be able to identify people who need 
might benefit from counseling because right. some people or therapy, I'm just generally talking about mental health treatment. Um, and for many people, they might not need that. They can lean on their loved ones and their support and their own coping mechanisms and get through something. Other people, if they're experiencing depression in response to a stressful event, then it's important to identify that. And I, um, I believe their justification too, that the way depression works, like you said, is that there are vulnerable people. When a stressor happens, that can trigger depression for mm -hmm. some people. And the argument was, why is bereavement different than other things, like mm -hmm. a car accident or um, job loss job. or yeah. many, many uh, medical problems, other yep. things like that. And so these are stressors. So what I really like, and we can link to this, the American Psychiatric Association did a press release describing this change so that people would understand it. And they point out how grieving process how the grieving process and major depressive disorder are different and so i'll just say some of these things uh while the grieving this is a direct quote while the grieving process is natural and unique to each individual and shares some of the same features of depression like intense sadness and withdrawal from customary activities grief and depression are also different and important aspects and grief, painful feelings come in waves, often intermixed with positive memories of the deceased. And depression, mood, and thoughts are almost constantly negative. And grief, self-esteem is usually preserved with major depressive disorder. Corrosive feelings of worthlessness and self-loathing are common. And while many believe that some form of depression is a normal consequence of bereavement, major depressive disorder should not be diagnosed in the context of bereavement if it seems to follow that quote-unquote normal process that we talked about. So mm -hmm. basically, in some, when people are experiencing bereavement and they're not depressed, they don't tend to feel bad about themselves. They tend to have ups and downs, happy mm -hmm. memories, and things like that. Depression looks different than that. And so in that case, it does feel like an advance forward, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, mm -hmm. since it's a relatively new change, we'll have more scientific research looking to see about the difference that it makes. Yeah, but it is certainly interesting and, like I said, certainly understandable on both sides of the argument where mm -hmm. you have to find that balance of making sure that people who need treatment are getting it and people who uh, don't have pathology aren't being pathologized. Right, because there is some evidence, as we talked about a while ago, that if you give someone treatment for grief and they don't need it, it yep. can be harmful. If yep. they're kind of So that's why it's important for a mental health professional to really assess those types of things. So in light of that, would you recommend Batman needing therapy for grief? And do you think he has depression in Batman versus Superman? Mm -hmm. I don't think that Batman has depression in Batman versus Superman. Mm -hmm. um, I, Batman, the Batman versus Superman depiction of Batman is sort of uh, a mystery to me still because we don't get a lot of just Batman time. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, like, the old blog posts that we wrote about Batman with uh, kind of coming to the conclusion of obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, I think that fits pretty well in most depictions. Um, uh, second, I do think that he certainly could have used some grief counseling. Um, definitely when he was younger. So we see, we only get the snapshot of him running away from the funeral. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's a bit of uh, speculation. But just based on that tiny little piece of data, as well as the end of, like, 
uh, seeing where he went developmentally into becoming a vigilante. Mm-hmm. We can assume that some things went wrong mm-hmm. in his coping with that grief to the best of Alfred's ability to raise him. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly possible that grief counseling could have helped him develop more healthy coping strategies. We see he it seems like he likes to drink a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he could be suffering some, from some alcohol dependence. Mm-hmm. So there's things like that that we know that sometimes people turn to as a negative or well they turn to as a coping strategy. Mm-hmm. It is a negative one. Um, so maybe more, uh, you know, more positive coping strategies. And um, I don't know. He, I mean, I guess I was going to say he also might struggle with some emotion regulation because he does get really mad sometimes. But that was, like, right after someone stabbed him. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about that argument, actually. <laughs> like I understand where <laughs> yeah. he's coming from. I've never that. been stabbed, but I imagine I would be mad and or uh, maybe just, like, faint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think it makes sense that he was upset about that. Yeah, and I and I and and one thing worth mentioning, too, is that he doesn't have a lot of social support. I mean, Alfred is great, but yeah. he's not everything. You he, can't be everything to a person. And right. so, and he, he encourages him to reach out to other people. Yeah, encourages them to date or meet someone. Or, exactly, yeah. have some friends do something fun. Yeah. And because it's decades after his parents' death, he's still struggling with these things, I still think therapy could be useful. Yes, there's something nice and preventative after something happens, Mm -hmm. you know, but it also, at a later point, I've seen people, too, who are like, it would have been ideal if they had therapy earlier, they didn't have it, but still as adults processing that yeah. can take them to a better place. That's a really good point that I, I, I sort of got I, uh, focused in on the childhood part. But yeah, that's a great point too, that at any point he could have used some therapy. Uh, and even like black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. He's certainly oh, got yeah. a lot of black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. And as we know, that's it's not a really an adaptive way to navigate the world. So mm-hmm. even just maybe trying to change that thing. Maybe uh, the idea that even if there's a 1% chance that Superman's a threat, we need to take it as an absolute certainty. Yes. Maybe taking that thinking style to your everyday life is not, I mean, not maybe. We know right. taking that thinking style to your everyday life is not adaptive. Right. So even exactly. just changing things like that. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, now, of course, this movie to the plot device, which people didn't like um, very much, some people didn't like. I thought it was cool. Was that the thing that changes him though? Is that thinking of his mom, right? And right. So I don't think someone needs to have a complicated relationship with grief to have that happen because that's right. still going to be a powerful thing. But I, I feel like going back to the part of the original part of this. Do they need to keep depicting his death, the death of his parents? Yeah. I feel like that's more powerful. Plus, of course, that's when his father says Martha, and it's kind of a right. reminder that that's his mom's name. Yeah, yeah, so I I was compelled by that. No, I was too. And even some of my friends told me, like, why do they show that in every new Batman yeah. movie or every story of Batman? Why do they show that he lost his parents? And I think the answer is two-part, and I think you already are very nicely articulated the first part, is that it's, it's, it's literally the moment that creates the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with uh, you just can't exclude that. Mm-hmm. And second, I think when you're rebooting a story or you're telling it differently, you're having a retelling. I don't think you can leave out something crucial like that and just assume that as a culture we everyone knows the character. And I mean that might be true. It might be hard to find someone who doesn't know like just of who Batman is. He's kind of a cultural icon in some ways. But I don't think that means we can just leave out the foundation of the entire story. No, and I you know I get the point because most of the Wonder Woman stuff that I read, there is always the retelling of yeah. her origin story. And so I kind of get, like, 
yeah, now I've read that six times. Do I right. really need to read each time? But for the person who's starting it for the first time, yeah. and sometimes there's a new spin on it, and it's not usually the whole story. So it's kind of, I get where people are saying, like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We don't need to see it anymore. But also from the perspective of new people being interested in something, it doesn't feel right to not include those essential parts of their character. Yeah, so. absolutely. So I, I think it's important to, to leave it. Uh, I will be curious on the upcoming Batman trilogy, I think we're getting at least one Batman movie standalone movie mm-hmm. called The Batman. I wonder if they'll revisit it again there. I yeah, would be interested that'd to be see. Interesting. Since they did address it twice in Batman vs. Superman. Mm-hmm. So I will be curious about that. But yeah, yeah. it'll be curious to see. So one thing to know too is, is grief is, it's one of these things, and this is a theme that we've returned to a, a number of times, is that uh, there are things that are normal, if you can believe it, and grief is one of them. Mm-hmm. And it's important, like I said, not to pathologize it. Grief is something that's normal. But there is, it's always important to watch out for that distress and that impairment component. And I feel like I'm saying this to you, Katie. I'm saying this to everybody. Like, like you don't know a professor. It's okay. Well, no. we're doing a podcast. <laughs> we talk I'm, to I'm each other. I'm looking at you, so it I feel like I'm to talking have a down review. on you. Yeah, no, no, okay. no. So if, if, if grief is something that you're struggling with, because uh, grief can be challenging. Losing people is incredibly painful. Uh, it's, uh, it's just important to make sure that you reach out and get the social support that you need and get the uh, counseling that you might need. Or and if you're not need. sure if you are experiencing grief or if it's a depressive episode it can help to get that evaluated and go yeah. and see someone you, i mean you they don't have to make that decision yourself right yeah it's hard to make that decision yeah. yourself so um another interesting thing so gail simone who we both have just talked about at length on this yeah. podcast so awesome she's awesome uh recently had a pretty interesting twitter thread which i mean could, you could just sum up as her twitter page really <laughs> but it was interesting because it talked i think it was on twitter or facebook uh about how superman is a love story really at its core and that's sort of what she thought was one of the things wrong with like man of steel for example or you know uh some of the depictions i think, depictions she, I of think she i thought she liked man of steel i okay. thought that was part I might of what be, she was arguing i might be remembering it I could be remembering incorrectly too. I just well, if I, we say it both ways, right, then no one accuses. I think you're right because Man of Steel and Man, Batman vs Superman does contain the, the love aspect between Superman and Lois Lane, so it makes more sense that you would have been right. Okay. One thing that I do remember specifically out of that thread, though, was that someone told her she was wrong, mm-hmm. and she just said, "Oh, well, I wrote Action Comics, so okay," yeah, which is exactly. hilarious. And Action Comics, of course, is the Superman story where mm-hmm. it's all started. So. I wanted to talk a little bit about this because I think it makes an interesting discussion point. And uh, it really what it boils down to is can superheroes really have significant others? Uh, can they manage it? So we even see in Batman vs. Superman, Superman's struggling. And he even directly says, you know, if the woman I love is in danger, of course I'm going to save you. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the senator, Senator Fish, talks a little bit about, you know, how can Superman decide who he can save? And so it does get a little bit messy and a little complicated. And, and this is probably one of the themes that I like. And I'm sorry. I didn't mean to no, please. Up, but I... I think is interesting about the movie is that he is depicted as kind of a godly type figure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's clear in the movie, and I think that it speaks to the struggle of how how could an all powerful being make decisions about who to save? And yeah. I think that to me that was very convincing as part of his struggle, like that that there was some humanness to him and maybe people don't like that because he's supposed to be superman and that's Mm -hmm. not very satisfying but but yeah it it means that he 
is swayed by how much he loves Lois. That mm-hmm. it's not, you know, I think of Batman as being, not always, but tending to really think things through, being calculated, mm-hmm. try to be ob- objective about making decisions. Again, that's yep. clearly he has emotions and stuff like that. But that is, his love for Lois is so strong that without thought, like, he goes to save her when yep. she's in danger. And that gets him into trouble because he's mm-hmm. making choices that... Um, you know, he's not stepping back and looking at right. how the rest of the world's going to see. He's making the choice that makes sense to him. And he's sort of like uh, a spokesperson. That's not the right word, mm-hmm. but he is like uh, an Ameri- um, a United States of America asset. So if, right. when he intervened in that, that was like, uh, you know, uh, a conflict. He just created mm-hmm. like uh, an inter-country conflict yes. by doing that over someone he had feelings for. Mm-hmm. And as we come to find out, and even Lois sort of admits... She kind of got herself into that situation by maybe trying to get an interview that she maybe shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. So uh, he stepped in and created a problem for like the country uh, because of his feelings for her. So it is an interesting dynamic to sort of explore. Mm-hmm. Is it responsible or reasonable, or how for for superheroes to have those romantic interests or relationships? And I'm certainly not going to tell them no because. <laughs> I mean, they're fictional, and that's just not my role. But uh, <laughs> it's mostly because they're fictional. But also, right. I don't want to tell people what to do. But I mean, it's used as right. Lex Luthor uses that as his weakness by yeah. taking Lois and like, I want Superman here. Then I'm going to drop yep. Lois off this yeah, building because he knows that that uh, Superman can't not save Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it and I like I thought like the um, the bath scene where he comes mm-hmm. home and she's in the bath is just so sweet and so romantic and like it's clear how much he loves her and I think that plays out in other areas and so when Gail Simone said you know at its heart Superman this is a love story that's not Mm -hmm. all there is to it but this is a love story that made sense to me but some people are like you don't get Superman at all that's not what it's about and I don't know I don't know what do you think no I agree (laughs) I agree with her and I agree with you and I disagree with telling comic book writers how to write the characters. <laughs> so I, I guess that, that's my opinion that's general, in a nutshell. That's a generally uh, a good thing to do. Not that people can have different opinions. Right. But there, it wasn't stated as an opinion, which I think was actually no, the majority I, of the problem. It was yeah. like, look, you don't, you just don't get Superman was what the I think person was saying. I think yeah. that's almost an exact quote. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought her response to that was brilliant. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it so. was even like with like... With all due respect, or like one of yeah. those things that people say before they're going to say something, mean yeah. like "God bless her heart," and then they like say something like, yeah. "But she's an idiot." <laughs> it's yeah. Like they didn't say that about Gail Simone, otherwise I would have been much angrier. But um, but anyway, so I but you know that theme we see throughout, right? Like Batman can't really have a relationship. He does at some points, and maybe Catwoman mm-hmm. is a good and match because she's in the same situation mm-hmm. as him. And I think yeah. in that one scene when they show him in the morning, there actually is a woman in the bed. Yeah, with there is. Up. So he's certainly like, just based on the assumption that we never see who that is, or right. it's never spoken about. He's having some sort of casual relationships. Yeah, sure, it didn't. But. It didn't. It seemed like maybe he was hooking up with someone versus yeah. like something more. Otherwise, right. you feel like they would have yeah. done more yeah. than hinted at. Like he got super drunk and there's someone in his yeah. bed, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that sort of goes into the differentiation of the characters mm-hmm. and how Bat- Bruce Wayne is not interested in being Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to be Batman, and that's really like his self identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's sort of the Bruce Wayne is sort of this mask that he wears. Batman, is yeah. Who he is, so. Whereas I think I don't think that's necessarily the way. I think that Superman is more of a uh, a balanced person. He's, mm-hmm. He has multiple aspects of his life. He's, he's open to relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, 
Yeah, so, you know, I think that theme, as we mentioned, comes up other things. That's certainly a big thing with Buffy, too. Like, mm-hmm. she wants to be a normal girl, and she wants to, you know, she wants to be with Angel, but that can't work. She's a slayer. He's a vampire, and um, it's... It's it's interesting. I know that we've talked about this before, but she and um, the actor who plays Xander had approached about them getting together because Xander in Buffy knows how Buffy is and who she is and accepts that, and that that's not the storyline they went with. But it does seem a common theme, like a superhero can't be the brave saving person if they are influenced by love, which causes mm. us to do irrational things yeah. or something like that. But it, it's part of what makes them feel lonely. And I think it's a part of Superman's character that he actually, a lot of the times, wants to save everyone. Yeah. Um, he can't always, and that's something I think he struggles with. But mm-hmm. he wants to save everyone. And mm-hmm. he, I think in some times, in some ways, depending on the depiction, he believes he can save everyone. And people want him to save everyone, maybe. Yeah. They want him to be the the, just, he can perfect and he can yeah. do all those things and it's disappointing to people when he can't do those right. things. Right, yeah, a more human Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting isn't it? It is. So that's probably a good stopping point for today. Do you have anything else, any closing Batman vs. Superman thoughts, Katie? Yes, Wonder Woman is awesome in the movie and I can't wait to see her in her own film. That would be so exciting. 28 days? 27 That days? sounds good to me. Something like that. Less <laughs> than 30, for sure. I have to agree. I think that it's my opinion that Warner Woman was the best part of Batman vs. Superman. I don't know. Yeah, she's... The theme that plays and she sa- mm-hmm. actually saves Batman's life. Uh, yeah. And her and Batman kind of have this cool dynamic. I like, yeah. In case you were wondering if I was like a Wonder Woman geek at all, when when they first show her, I definitely am like, oh my gosh, like every time, like it's Wonder Woman, I get so excited and it's I awesome. think it's so cool, especially the entrance that they ever make it as oh, yeah. Wonder Woman in her Wonder Woman gear. Yeah, it's sweet. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, yep, I will, I will second that closing thought. Wonder Woman is the best part of the movie. <laughs> Batman's my favorite part, but she's really cool. Um, my Pearl of Wisdom is actually one that I've used before. Wait a minute, I didn't leave enough pause, and I don't know how to create pauses on our uh, podcast editing software for the Pearl of Wisdom sound to signify Pearls of Wisdom with Brandon. Uh, It's one that I've used before, but I'm going to use it again, uh, which is a Batman quote that reads, You have only your thoughts and dreams ahead of you. You are someone, you mean something. Just, uh, just, Just savor that one. Mull it over. Um, and, uh, and I think I'll just leave it at that. And, uh, so as always, thank you so much for listening in to the Jedi Council podcast. You can check out our blog posts and podcasts and everything else at, uh, jedi-council.com. Well, we've got our podcasts on iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean. They're all over the place. You can find it, like, anywhere, I think, these days. And uh, if you like what you hear, we absolutely love getting reviews so we can, uh, kind of acknowledge the things that people like and improve our show even more and uh also in addition check out the other great shows on the geek therapy podcast network uh there's a whole bunch of great shows on there they're all just as good as the last so i can't recommend them enough and uh that's kind of all i've got anything else from you katie i think that you covered everything i guess the only thing i'll say is next week we're planning to talk about the movie get out so if you have any questions about that send us a message or tweet at us and let us know That sounds good. All right, folks, thanks so much. We'll see you next time.